Hello, everyone. I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt Effie Oracle. Welcome to the Betting Pros Podcast, brought to you by BetMGM, where you can get a risk-free bet of up to $1,000 when you use the promo code BETTINGPROS with your first deposit. Here with me to talk NFL Week 10 market movement and power ratings is Fabian Somer, an NFL better and content creator for the Hammer Network. Fabian, uh, thanks for joining the show. Great to have you. How's it going? Matt, thank you very much for having me on. Can't wait to talk some football with you. Yeah, so first, before we get into football, you know, big picture, people might have intuited from your accent, you are German, uh, not the the most natural thing to pick up, you know, NFL, uh, if you are in Germany, but although there is an NFL game in Germany this weekend, and, and we'll talk about that, but can you talk a little bit about how you got into NFL? Yeah, so... <laughs> During the 2000s, there was a sitcom in Germany called King of Queens. I think you might know it. It's with um, Doug Heffernan and so on. And um, that was very big time over here. And I watched like every episode of that. And uh, sports, American sports was always a big thing for Doug Heffernan. And he was always watching the Jets. So he was always watching football. And at some point I thought, hey, how about, how about uh, watching some football on Sunday? That might be a very fun sport. So I think in 2008 or 2009, at some day, I started watching some live streams of football and immediately I got completely hooked with these sports. Um, in Germany, raising, um, um, getting up, you are automatically a big soccer guy uh, by nature. And... Right now, I've I've reached uh, the point a long time ago that I prefer to watch football a lot more than I prefer to watch uh, soccer. So yeah, um, that's basically how I got into football. It started, I think, two thousand eight or two thousand nine. I think it was the first season for the Jets with Rex Ryan as their head coach, where they made the playoffs, and I never stopped uh, watching after that. Is the Jets your team? Like, is that the, yes, yeah, I'm a Jets fan. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. I mean, what a, what a franchise to pick as someone, you know, not even, not even attached to the city of New York. That's an amazing franchise to pick. It worked out very well for the first two years. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then after that, not so well, but this year now it's, it, it's, you know, working out again. So it, it's, uh, it's all coming full circle. Absolutely. It could be the first play of birth since I think 2010, 2011. Yeah, crazy stuff. <laughs> uh, okay, so your approach to betting and analysis. I'm wondering if you can talk about it a little bit. I've, I've heard you on on other podcasts talk about it. Um, you know, there, there are people who have you know, more of a, a quantitative approach, people who have more of a, a kind of matchups focused approach. And I think you have something of a, a blend of those two but can you talk a little bit about how it is that you break down football yeah exactly so first of all that might sound a little bit lazy but i want to gather as much information as possible but i come more from the subjective side of things so uh, some people um, are entirely let's say uh, let's say model focused they run some numbers look what their numbers spit out find some edges and go on and bet it um, I've also used uh, models in the past. I've built models. I've used uh, power ratings and stuff like that. But everything was just a tool for me to get some kind of a baseline uh, 
to my weekly handicapping process, but everything really starts for me with a qualitative approach, subjective approach, so to speak. So I care primarily about the matchup on the field. And that starts on Monday morning for me when I um, go through all the matchups, um, make some notes for certain angles, matchup advantages, disadvantages, then um, injury projections following injury report, reports throughout the league. And then on Monday morning, um, I will get to a, let's say, a, an initial spread for a certain game. And that spread gets adjusted throughout the week based on data analysis, injury news, um, coaches speak or whatever. Like any single information bit that I find useful could have an impact on my um, process about how I approach a, a certain game. And then throughout the week, it's basically like a, let's say, numbers evolvement. I, I could uh, change my numbers quite a bit th throughout the week, like when there is um, injury news that were unprecedented or I found some data about some stuff that I've been missing on Monday. And yeah, throughout the week, it's basically then uh, always updating my numbers getting the, the best information as uh, as possible, uh, looking at um, every piece of information, like um, every injury news or whatever. And then it's also very important to uh, time your market entry. So um, sometimes on a Tuesday evening, you might want to bet a, a certain site or a certain total, but um, there might be some injury news that you won't get before Thursday or Friday. You could have the anticipation that uh, certain betting groups might bet a, a certain side or total early in the week. So you might want to wait for that uh, market move to happen. And that's basically a, a grind throughout the week to um, balance um, the information status and the, the market entry. Mm -hmm. So it seems that you, uh, you know, based on what you said and based on, you know, what I've, I've heard, uh, you say in, you know, other podcasts that you have, um, as you said, you sort of start with more of the, the matchup, uh, looking at that and, you know, with your knowledge, uh, you build numbers on top of it and around it to kind of supplement. It's interesting, like, and you've, you've had success with that. Uh, I have had more success in the kind of opposite direction. So before this year, I was much more focused on, okay, this matchup versus that matchup, you know, this team is number one in this offensive metric. This defense is number 32 in this defensive metric. Uh, you know, I think three points is too much for the spread, uh, and kind of approaching it that way. And doing that, I was, you know, about break even, um, this year, I kind of forced myself to have more of a a kind of like a blended approach where I would start with the number. Like so, I I've you know each week I go through the the process of updating power ratings. I didn't have power ratings before this year. I created them in the off season, maintained them, built a model around that to try to adjust for uh, home field advantage, for travel, uh, you know, different different factors like that. And I've had much more success starting this year with that that quantitative approach, and then starting to to build in the context around it of particular uh, matchups. I'm curious, you know, what your 
what your thinking is on the two different types of approaches. To be completely honest, I think if you ask 10 successful batters in any given sport, you will probably get 10 different answers as to yeah. how they approach handicapping. And I think I always say many ways lead to Rome. There is not one single approach that is uh, useful for everyone or that uh, beats the market long term. I think that it's just important that you always challenge the status quo, that you always look at where could be weaknesses in, in my uh, process, where could be some flaws, what I've been missing in the past. Um, it's always important to measure your performance against the market in terms of, let's say, closing line value. Um, which is also time dependent, um, de dependent um, on the days when you place your bets. But I don't think that there is the right or wrong way. People can have success going quantitative first. People can have success going qualitative first. There's just not one single recipe that leads to success. It's just important to always uh, challenge yourself, um, try to gain more more knowledge and just don't have the uh, overconfidence in your process. Mm -hmm. All right. You uh, put out an article each week at the Hammer Network, kind of looking at big picture themes and developments for the season and for the previous week. Uh, and in your week nine takeaways piece, you noted the, the depressed scoring environment for 2022 NFL. Now we're in week 10. So we have nine full weeks of information at this point. And in no week so far, has the over hit in more games than the under. I mean, that's just, you know, it's not mind boggling, but it's, it's not statistically probable. Uh, and, you know, for the year, the under is 81 and 55. What is your read on why we are seeing what we're seeing and what that might mean moving forward? Yes. Yeah, so I think that we have seen a league wide shift in the sense that offenses are having a, a much tougher time dictating the game to the opposing defense. So for years, we have seen uh, some juggernaut offenses like the Chiefs, the, the Shanahan offenses, the McVay offenses, etc., etc., always being consistently good. We have seen defenses uh, playing lots of single high cover three in the past where we had, where we had the, uh, let's say, uh, evolving Seattle Seahawks defense fr from the early 2010s. Um, then at some point, everyone wanted to copy the the Seahawks defense. Was playing cover three guys like uh, guys like Gus Bradley were like playing strictly cover three every single week for let's say 70, 80 percent of their snaps. And at some points, uh, at some point, it was very easy, or let's say it became more easy for offensive coordinators to beat that stuff and to make life very easy for his quarterback, um, etc. And at some point, there was a shift like defenses didn't want to get beat deep anymore. And DC started to call a lot more, a lot more let's say, too high stuff. Cover two, cover four, cover six, some iterations of that. Um, the the uh, Fangio tree was starting to play with light boxes, um, basically saying, hey, you can run on us, but you cannot beat us deep. And defenses were really starting to pick up on that. 
And since last year, we have really seen a, a shift in terms of coverage rates of uh, cover two, cover four, cover six, et cetera. And defenses are also finding ways to disrupt opposing offensive lines. So we are seeing lots more uh, simulated pressure, stunts at, at the line of scrimmage, really trying to, to, to cloud the, the picture of the opposing quarterback. Um, I think offensive line play, when you look, for example, at BFF grades, offensive line play is also down this year. So when you put everything together, it's not that easy anymore for an offense to dictate the game to the opposing defense. Defenses like, let's say, the, the Denver Broncos, who, who, have an, who have an excellent pass defense this year, they are really messing around with opposing protections. They're playing sound and disciplined coverage um, on the back end. They're really making it hard on opposing quarterbacks. And it's it's just a fact that offensive play is down league-wide. We are talking about, a, I think, a decrease of about five, six points in terms of total score per game and about 0.04 EPA per play. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really, I would not call it the, the year of the defense, but defenses have clearly found a way to strike back and and say, hey, offenses, uh, you, you have to be doing a much better job to beat us now. Yeah, I, I mean, I think your, your point is right. It doesn't feel exactly like the year of the defense. It feels a little bit like the year of the underwhelming offense. Uh, and uh, it's, yeah, you know, we just have to see what adjustments offenses make and then how defenses counter adjust uh in your piece you also have a section on josh mcdaniels and you say the uh the josh mcdaniels era might already be over in las vegas and by the way speaking of the raiders we're giving away a free signed josh jacobs raiders jersey from pristine auction if you want a chance to win it subscribe to the betting pros youtube channel right now and comment below on the video we will announce a winner on the channel in a future episode so turn on those notifications. So the Josh McDaniels era in Las Vegas, it might already be over. What do you think is going on? Like this team, they get out to big leads, which that's a good thing. And then they just give those leads away. And uh, I will say in the, the preseason, betting the under on the eight and a half win total for the Raiders was one of the, the biggest bets that I made. I just looked at that and it felt, I, I don't know. You could just look at, you could look at a number of things and say, I can see how this doesn't work out. And it hasn't worked out. At the same time, I don't look at this team and, and think that any one thing is like, oh, this is why they're a bad team, except maybe that Josh McDaniels is the head coach. What do you make of this team? First of all, I did not expect them to lead the AFC West after nine weeks, but I expected them to be, let's say, more competent on offense. Like their defense right now, I think they rank 26th or 27th in EPA per play. They are, I think, uh, second to last uh, against the pass. So that's something that Josh McDaniels um, doesn't really account for a lot. But you can certainly point towards the offense not playing up to the level that they are, were supposed to be. So, I mean, Derek Carr has been a very decent quarterback for the past two to three years. Devontae Adams has been arguably the best wide receiver last year. Hunter Renfro had an absolute stud breakout season. Mac Hollins is making plays down the field. I think he's, he's um, up there among the top 10 wide receivers in terms of EPA per target. And then you also had uh, Darren Waller for a few games. Josh Jacobs is having a, a fantastic season. So there's really no reason 
why this offense should not be a, let's say, top 12, top 10-ish offense. And that's really mind-boggling. And I don't really have a reasonable expect uh, explanation for that. I mean, against the, the Saints, um, you could see that Devontae Adams was clearly sick. I think he, he had the flu. He was running routes at 50%. Okay, that was a, a, a dud game. But I don't get how you can be very good in one half against a below-average Jaguars defense. Everything is clicking. You are finding ways to uh, get Devontae Adams the ball. And then after the half, he has zero yards. Mike McDaniels has some really, really ill-advised uh, decisions in terms of play calling and when to call a one, when to call a pass. Uh, Derek Carr, you can't expect him to make every throw in the world, but I really have the feeling that this coaching staff fails uh, its offense to reach its ceiling and to be smart enough when it comes to closing out games. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree with that. Um, you know, looking at what happened last week and thinking about the changes that I've made in power ratings for this week, uh, teams that I've bumped up significantly since last week, the bears, the Seahawks and the Titans. Uh, and you know, for all of these teams, I think there are, uh, you know, very concrete things that you can point to. Uh, Justin Fields, uh, is massively exceeding the expectations that I had for him, uh, based on what we saw in weeks one through three, uh, since then incredible outperformance. And so, uh, you know, based on what we've seen, uh, adjusting up the bears, uh, as he goes, their offense goes and their offense has really gotten better. Uh, Seattle, I've adjusted them up pretty significantly since last week, in part because I was so slow early in the year to adjust them up. I, I probably held on to my priors with Seattle longer than I should have. If they weren't the bottom ranked team for me entering the year, they were certainly bottom three. Uh, and then Tennessee, uh, man, I mean, their defense, their defense, uh, and it's not even so much their defense, just the coaching staff. This is a coaching staff. It's that sort of like the opposite of what we see with the Raiders and Josh McDaniels. This coaching staff always seems to get the most out of its players, even if uh, in terms of EPA or success rate or you know any of the on-field metrics you would look at, it doesn't seem like this is all that great of a team, but they always play well. Uh, those are the teams since last week that I've moved up the most in my power ratings. Uh, I, I believe you have also moved the Bears up quite a bit and how you are evaluating them from last week. What are your thoughts on what we're seeing out of Justin Fields? Incredible development. So first of all, they have adjusted their, let's say, offensive scheme to the point that they are just letting him run. They are designing runs for him. And they're basically saying, hey, Justin, when there's pressure, just, just go. Just go and... Uh, be the best athlete on the field. That's something that Matt Nagy didn't want him didn't want him to be last year, which in hindsight um, <laughs> is really crazy to to think about. And I think over the past three weeks, not only has the scheme changed and and we see more more designed runs, he also seems to be more decisive and just lets it rip. So the the biggest critic early in the season was that he's taking sack after sack after sack after sack. 
And now he is just not um, holding onto the ball too long. He just goes or he lets it rip. And I think this is an, an incredible um, a development because converting a sack to an incompletion is good to begin with. <laughs> but converting, converting a sack to a scramble for 12 yards is even much better. And scrambling really, really is key. And scrambling is, is also a key when we go back to the to the um, to this season scoring environment because defenses are are really taking away the deep ball, um, are messing around at the line of scrimmage, and there are opportunities for quarterbacks to turn scrambles into even more valuable propositions. And if you let an athlete like Justin Fields scramble, good things will happen. All right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as as you say the development, uh, especially what we've seen in the past month has been fantastic. The, the week after the Super Bowl, uh, I was in Las Vegas for a conference and, uh, I, I placed three MVP bets at that time, uh, total degenerate move, whatever. <laughs> uh, one of them was 80 to one Trey Lance. That is obviously dead. One of them was a hundred to one to a tug of Iloa. That's probably not going to work, right. but but I don't hate the value that I have on it now. And then the third one was 150 to one, Justin Fields. Obviously, that's not cashing, but I'm thrilled with the development. Like the thesis of placing that bet is what we've started to see in Justin Fields for the past three weeks. So it's exciting to to imagine what he could become if they are able to build around him next year and the year after that. You know, like maybe he actually could be an MVP candidate next year if he continues on this trajectory and they're able to, to build around him. Now on the flip side of this, and I got to say like Luke Getze, it seems like he's done a, a pretty good job of changing the way that he's approaching the talent that he has. Uh, and, you know, kind of on the flip side, you know, Luke Getze uh, left the Packers. Obviously they had other coaches leave the coaching staff and we've seen, that offense really for the Packers has not been good. Uh, it's just, it's massively underwhelmed. And so I continue each week to move the Packers down in my rankings. Uh, and of course, other teams that I significantly moved down this past week, the Colts and the Panthers. Uh, with the Colts, it's just like, and this this move was even before the, the termination of Frank Reich in the hiring of Jeff Saturday. And it's like, now I, I want to bump them down even more. Uh, and with the Panthers, you know, I'm not sure what we're going to see at quarterback this week. If it's PJ Walker, if it's Baker Mayfield, I'm kind I think of it's under Walker. the, you think it's Walker. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, we have to wait and see there, but you know, I've moved them down in part because Walker doesn't seem to be the, the prince that was promised. Uh, and then also, you know, the couple of weeks before that, it felt like a team that was playing hard. Like they, they were competing and I just did not get that sense last week. It looked like a team that was dead. Uh, and, and so significantly adjusted them down, but who are the teams that you are looking at and you've reevaluated downwards? So first of all, the calls, because I think in the history of DBA, that performance against the uh, Patriots was up there for the worst performance in DBA yeah. history. I think I've read something about that on their Twitter timeline. Um, I mean, Parker, uh, sorry, not Parker, Sam Ellinger 
We are in a bad offensive line with wide receivers who cannot get separation and a 30-year-old play caller who has never, never called plays in the NFL. I mean, <laughs> you have to downgrade the calls. I mean, they were, I think they closed as five and a half uh, points underdog, a point underdogs at uh, New England last week. And I mean, they got completely destroyed. There was... There is not a single bit of hope when it comes to this offense, in my opinion, after watching their performance against the Patriots. Like, for the Bears, we could always say, hey, Justin Fields has all the talent in the world. Maybe use some more designed runs, adjust the adjust the scheme a little bit, uh, maybe grab another wide receiver or something. But with the Colts right now, I could not tell you, Matt, any logical solution to the problem. Like, how could they really improve their offense um, going forward. I have no single solution to this. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think there is one. And with the, with the Packers, um, you know, they, I mean, they suffered a slew of injuries. I mean, it was, if it weren't so sad, it would be humorous. How many guys got injured for the Packers in that game? Uh, and, you know, Obviously, Rashawn Gary uh, out for the year with the the ACL injury, and so that's a significant downgrade there for the defense. Um, what are you seeing with the Packers? I mean, I I think it this could have ripples beyond just this year. I mean, it could get so bad to where like Aaron Rodgers is is gone after this year. Seriously, I would not rule out the possibility that he gets benched for John Love at some point because. Yeah. There is A, the scenario that Aaron Rodgers will not play another down for the Packers beyond this season. And then, without any playoff hopes, there's no single point in not giving John Love uh, more significant reps because he was chosen by this um, regime. He's there in the second row behind Aaron Rodgers. He will likely be in the consideration for the starting quarterback going forward. So I would really not be surprised if, if the Packers lose another two or three games, if John Love at some point would be the starter, even without any injury to Aaron Rodgers. Um, secondly, when it comes to the injuries, I mean, the, the Packers offense was below average to begin with and losing the speed of Christian Watson to, to a second concussion within three weeks, losing Romeo Dobbs, who was one of the, let's say, lights in that offense. Aaron Jones, he will likely play this week, but he might be limited. David Bakhtiari got another hit to his knee or something. So there is really nothing to like about this offense going forward. And the only thing that was good for the Packers this year was their pass defense. And now you lose your best pass rusher in, in Rashan Gary. People can run on the Packers. They have issues passing the ball on the Packers. But if, if you cannot get enough pressure right now, I mean, I, I just think their season is completely over right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, let's look at some of the, the market movement uh, for the games that we have coming in week 10. And let's start with that game in Germany, uh, Seattle playing Tampa Bay in Munich. By the way, are you, uh, are you happening to go to that game? I'm not. I'm a little bit sad about it, but... I think there were north of uh, 500,000 ticket requests. And when we tried to get some tickets, we were in the queue at place 
360,000 or whatever, and we had no shot at getting any tickets. Ah, oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. Well, I mean, at least you will get to uh, to watch uh, in you know in in the country, and uh, I, I mean, I think tremendous uh, experience there. But okay, so this this game in yeah. the in the off season market, which you know isn't a uh, a highly liquid market, but you still have bookmakers who are putting these lines out there, and they can take money on it. So in this this market in the preseason, this line was nine and a half. In the, I mean, that's an amazing difference now between where we are. Nine and a half, two and a half in the look ahead market last Thursday. When it opened in the early market on Sunday, this line was one. And I mean, the immediate instinct I had was this is this is too short. I had already, you know, with the power ratings, with the model, I'd already done the projection. I had this at three. And so that felt like an auto bet there. It has now moved up back to two. Uh, and let me make sure I'm, I'm looking at the most recent number now here, but, uh, I think it actually might even be up to two and a half now. Yes. Two and a half. Uh, yeah. Two and a half now at some books. So, uh, I mean, it has certainly moved. What do you make of what we've seen in this market? Yeah. So first of all, when the schedule came out and we knew that we are going, we would be seeing the uh, Bucks against the Seahawks in Germany. Every literally everyone was saying, Oh, what a loop-sided game that's going to be over at halftime. The Seahawks are bad, the Buccaneers are playing for the Super Bowl. The look ahead number is close to 10 or something. And I mean, I think that it's very rare that we see these drastic adjustments from the preseason look ahead line towards a week nine line without significant injuries, like to the quarterback or something. So this is really, really fun to look at. But I also think it's completely justified because the Seahawks, no matter at what you look at, based on the first nine weeks, I think it's hard to make a case that the Bucks were, were, were the significantly better team, uh, especially recently. The, the Bucks had a stretch of um, with games against the Panthers, uh, Steelers, and Rams. They lost two of those games and needed a last-minute miracle to beat the Rams last week. And the Seahawks have really looked as a complete team on both sides of the ball recently. So I think this adjustment is very warranted. And I, and I also think that the market right now is saying our prior on the Buccaneers, especially with them being a little bit healthier now than in, than in recent years, especially on their secondary, even though Shaq Barrett will be out, um, is still strong enough to make this game a favorite on a neutral field. But yeah, I mean, the Seahawks are, you mentioned it uh, earlier, the Seahawks are one of the biggest surprises. Um, I also had them as a bottom, bottom of the barrel team. I had them, I don't know, bottom, bottom five or something. I did not expect this. I did not expect their, their defense to make such an in-season transition. And I also did not expect Geno Smith to make like Ryan Tannehill 2 or something. So uh, 2.0. Um, yeah, great stuff. Kudos to that coaching staff. Kudos to that maybe generational draft because you also have like a fourth and sixth round rookie cornerback playing exceptionally well on the back end right now. I mean, I can only praise the, the, the Seahawks right now. Yeah, it's like a parlay situation. For that team to turn into what it is now, 
Geno Smith had to, had to yeah. have yeah. a season that very few people would have foreseen. Uh, that offensive line with two rookie tackles had had to play much better than anyone would have anticipated. And then on the defense in the secondary, two rookie cornerbacks had to outperform expectations in, in a manner that no one would have anticipated. And, and you put it all together, and yeah, this team is playing with uh, with some, I mean, serious mojo, right? I mean, it, it feels like they are, especially in underdog situations, they are the type of team that that can win outright against almost anybody, uh, you know, except for one of you know the better teams in the league, you know, Chiefs, uh, you know, Bills, that type of situation. And, and speaking of the Bills, we've got to talk about this game. So this you, know, you have Buffalo hosting the Vikings, the Bills in the the preseason look ahead uh, market. You know, this number was seven and a half or eight. And, you know, it opens seven and a half and you're like, oh, you know, not much adjustment, right? Everything seems to be the same, except like there's been some serious movement in the look ahead market on Thursday. This number was nine and a half. And I would say even that to me felt a little bit low, but now we have seen Josh Allen for six consecutive quarters play subpar football. And then at the end of last week's game, injured his elbow. And so this did open at seven and a half above the key number, but it went under and it's, you know, it hit six and a half and now it is at six. I'm looking at, at bet MGM right now, and by the way, bet MGM, where you can get a risk-free bet of up to a thousand dollars when you use the promo code betting pros with your first deposit, looking at bet MGM, it is six, you know, it, this number is six uh, and five and a half, even uh, at, at some books, five and a half. Now DraftKings, FanDuel. I mean, the market seems to be indicating that either Josh Allen uh, is not going to play or that if he plays, he will be extremely limited. Or if he plays, he will be more akin to the version of Josh Allen that we've seen in the past six quarters than the Josh Allen we saw at the beginning of the year. What do you make of this line? Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. Um, Circle Las Vegas is currently taking 10K and they are at six. And Circle Colorado is. Uh, taking 3k and they are they are at five right now yeah so today i listened to a podcast and i basically try to gather some more uh, viewpoints from all those twitter doctors fantasy doctors and stuff like that and i think the the reasonable expect uh, expectation right now is that he might miss up to two weeks with a i think it, it's a sprained ucl Can, kind of injury, something like that, um, because it doesn't sound too optimistic from, from the Bills PR department that they are saying he will at least be limited. And then uh, afterwards, I think they said they, they are awaiting further tests uh, on a Tuesday. So that makes me a little bit pessimistic for his availability this week. Even if he could play, I think that it's probably reasonable to expect them to sit him, to, to rest his elbow and be ready for the um, late November, December part, part, December parts of the season. And yeah, the market right now is basically telling us that um, it's maybe 50-50 that he plays, but likely it will be um, probably Case Keenum. 
All right. So uh, another game here, uh, looking at the Giants hosting the Texans. Uh, in the, the preseason look-ahead market, this number was three. Uh, in the Thursday look-ahead market last week, this number was six. And uh, I bet this in the look-ahead market. And by the way, when I grab a, a number early, I always log my bets in the Betting Pros app where you can sync up with sports books, get free betting advice and picks, track different experts, track line movement, track your own bets, uh, and you can get sports betting alerts. And we monitor all the major sports books so you can see which book is offering the best line on a bet at any given moment. So download the app today in the Apple or Google Play Store. Uh, so I grabbed this number at six. It opened in the early market on Sunday at six and a half. It is now seven. I mean, the Giants at home, uh, I believe coming off of a buy, seven point favorites here. What are you making of this line? I think the, the, the market came back to six and a half. I'm currently looking at uh, six and a half across the board. I think it came after the Xavier McKinney news that he broke his hand or something while he was um, on vacation in, in Cabo or something. Um, yeah, so the Giants are another fascinating team for why this season is so so weird. Going into the season, I think it was maybe reasonable to uh, power rate the Giants a little bit higher than the Texans. Maybe, let's say, two or three points or something. But after this season played out, I mean... The Giants are not that juggernaut from a talent perspective, but their coaching star staff has certainly raised the entire floor of this team and really puts uh, all guys into a um, better situation. And their offense is coming up as uh, coming out as an average unit in terms of, of efficiency metrics. Saquon Barkley is having a great season. Daniel Jones is using his legs, also scrambling a lot. Only their defense is not playing so well but they are making some key plays in key situations like against the Ravens, for example, against the Pandas late with all those cover, cover zero blitzes and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's also a very reasonable adjustment, uh, something that we did not foresee uh, going into week one, I would say. All right. So something else we didn't foresee going into week one. I mean, Green Bay, we talked about them earlier, but Green Bay Packers at Lambeau hosting the Cowboys in the uh, off-season look-ahead market, the Packers were favored by four. And we have seen a massive turn of events here. Last week in the look-ahead market, this number was two and a half. On Sunday night, when this reopened, it was four and a half. It moved to five. And right now, as I'm uh, looking at the, the betting pros odds page, I see this number at five and a half at BetMGM. Uh, five at, you know, some other books, but you know, there's the possibility we start to see this line creep even closer towards seven, uh, man, I mean, what, I just got to say the idea of betting against Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau field makes my stomach hurt. But at the same time, I, I grabbed this number four and a half, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm committed to it. Where are you on this game? What do you see? Yeah, I mean, could you ever imagine everyone just being a five-point underdog at home? Like going going into the season, even even though we believed that the Packers might take a step back, we would not have made them five-point underdogs at home to anyone in the league. Not Bills, not the not the Chiefs, not not anyone. But at the same side, I mean, when we look at these both teams from let's say from a linear power rating perspective. 
we will probably have the Cowboys somewhere near the upper tier, um, behind the Eagles somewhere, let's say somewhere, just for just for an example purpose right now, let's say you install the, the, the Cowboys as plus four in a power rating. And you will probably have the Packers as a below average team, let's say minus two, minus one and a half, no matter, uh, depends on how you um, incorporate uh, th those injuries for the upcoming week. So yeah, that's already, let's say a six point difference on a linear scale. Then you would adjust a little bit for home field advantage. And then you got to think about what are these injuries worth in this specific matchup against a Cowboys team that is almost healthy coming out of the bye week. I mean, outside of John Lewis, I think they might be completely healthy on both sides of the wall. I mean, Tyron Smith is still still on IR. But other than that, um, even Ezekiel Elliott might play. Some people will say that's a downgrade from Tony Pollard. And I'm also not quite sure that he's really going to play. Maybe maybe he will, but might be on a snap count because he could have a, a, a bone bruise in his knee. But if you're just for the matchup, I mean, it's it's really hard to make this number significantly lower, in my opinion. But I also think that if this moves to six, there might certainly be some betting interest uh, at in grabbing the the plus six for the Packers at home, yeah. So it will be interesting to see. I I mean, six feels even as uh, someone who's kind of skeptical on on what's going on with the Packers right now because of all the injuries. Six feels like that would be too too far, and that we would probably see buyback there. Uh, one final game to look at here in terms of the market movement. We've got the San Francisco 49ers hosting the Chargers in the offseason look ahead market. This number was you know, around minus one, even, uh, you know, 0. 0.5 uh, in the look ahead market on Thursday, it was four and a half. And I gotta say, I, I have a few kind of like guiding principles. And one of them is that I just, I never want to bet on Kyle Shanahan when he's a home favorite. That's like a smash <laughs> situation in which he almost always, not almost always, but he regularly underwhelms in that spot. Um you know, and so I saw a four and a half and I thought, you know, I like, I see some theoretical value there. I just don't know if I want to bet on it. And then of course this number opens, uh, you know, significantly higher than that. And, uh, you know, six and a half, we're now at seven, uh, across the board here. Uh, where are you looking at, uh, at this game? I mean, this seems like a nightmare matchup for the current state or, or for the current iteration of the, the Chargers uh, team in general. I mean, if both teams are completely healthy, you would probably see a spread of Niners minus two and a half, minus three in that range, I would argue. But the Chargers are so crazily banged up that their injuries become weaknesses to the point where it probably gets compounded by three when playing this 49ers team. Like, their run defense is not great. The Niners with Christian McCaffrey are probably a top 10 run offense at this point right now. Um, the Chargers offensive line is banged up. Even Trey Pipkins might, might be out this week, so it could be a Storm Norton season once again. Storm Norton against Nick Bosa. Terrible matchup. The 49ers defense is getting healthier. Um, they 
can easily shut down the the run game. They get pressure on the Chargers offensive line, and the the the, the whole Chargers offense is basically the the let's call five sticks and see what what happens. Like everything is uh, short. They are not really using uh, Justin Herbert to the best of, of his ability. And the Niners defense has been really good at closing down on space. So every short pass, this defense ha has so much speed on the field, they can close down very, very well. And yeah, everything that the Niners do well is all of a sudden a weakness of the Chargers going into this matchup with all the injuries. Roshan Slater, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, I don't think Keenan Allen will be back this week. Back this week, offensive line, their run game is not great. Like everything that went bad for the Chargers in recent weeks might get compounded against the Niners. And that's why we are seeing a split of seven instead of maybe three if uh, both teams were healthy. Do you think this hits seven and a half? If you put me on the spot, I would think it rather hits seven and a half than six and a half. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I think too. I don't think it's going back down. It's not to say yeah. it's going up, but I don't, I don't think it's going down. All right, let's look just uh, to close this out here. Thursday night football. We've got the Panthers hosting the Falcons Falcons on the road favored by three in the off season. Look ahead market. The Panthers were favored by four in the look ahead market on Thursday. Uh, the Panthers were one and a half point underdogs. On Sunday, this opened as uh, two and a half plus two and a half with the Panthers, and now it has moved to three. Let me make sure we are actually still at three. Yeah, we are still at three on that number. Uh, so, you know, significant movement from what we would have expected in the offseason to where we are now. I, I gotta say, I bet this at two and a half, but uh, I have this projected exactly at three. Uh, and on the the over under here. You know, it's uh, 44 and a half. I have it uh, exactly at, I have it at 44.4. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not really showing any value there. Uh, of course, I guess if you had to bet in one direction, probably just always bet the under, uh, given what we've seen <laughs> this year. But do you have any thoughts on what we might see in this game? I don't have a strong opinion in terms of how the uh, game might play out. I think it will play out differently from the last game. I mean, when we think about the closing line, I think the Falcons closed minus four, minus 15, something is somewhere in that range. Now they are laying three on the road. That's basically a 6% adjustment in terms of win probability, uh, switching a home field advantage. That sounds reasonable to me. Uh, I don't think that any injury situation on either side got significantly worse uh, versus the other. So we are just basically saying, hey, hopefully advantage switch, 6% will probability. Either you think that's too high or too low. Um, and I think in the first game, the, the, the Pandas averaged 0.2 EPA on runs. That's even very high against a Falcons defense. And PJ Walker had like two or three, let's say, 2% uh, completion probability balls in the second yeah. half that it's it's very hard to see him bringing, bringing that A game. And it's also hard to see the, the whole Panther of Panthers offense bringing that A game again. So 
if you think the 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 Panthers had a miracle game against the Falcons earlier, I think it's reasonable to look at the Falcons in this game. Or if you say the Falcons are also a fake team uh, and the Panthers are getting a, a little bit healthier on defense, someone might look into the Panthers. But for me right now, uh, I have not bet anything on this game and I don't really have a strong opinion either way. Yeah, the the real winner of the game might be the person who decides not to watch this on Thursday night. <laughs> I, I will certainly not stay awake for this. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, <laughs> your your incentive to watch these games is a little bit different than the incentive for for people in North America. But uh, yeah, I, either way, wherever you are, uh, it might be a a strong life decision not to watch this game. Uh, all right, Suma, thanks so much for joining us. Tell the people about all that you have going on at the Hammer Network. Yeah, so on every Monday around uh, 10 a.m. in the morning, I will have my takeaways article up where I dive into certainly uh, usually into three or four things that stood out to me on Sunday. You will find it on uh, thehammer.bet. Um, on Wednesdays, I'm doing the Move the Lines shows with um, my friend uh, Matt Landis where we dive into some of the marquee line moves up to this point and try to make any sense of it, why the, the, the betting market um, bets uh, has bet a, a certain side up, why they like the under in, in any game or, or the over or something like that. And on Thursdays, um, I do the Matchbook uh, podcast with Drew Dinsick and Rob Pizzola that starts at 2.30 uh, Eastern, Eastern time, uh, always promoted on Twitter. And yeah, if you... Uh, Want to follow me on Twitter? You can find me at uh, at suma eight one zero s u u m a. Yeah, the uh, the matchbook pod is absolutely great. One of my must listens every week, and also I, I believe the show that you do with Landis that is a um, you guys talk a little beer on there too, right? Yeah. Am, I, am I wrong about that? Yeah. What is, yeah. give me give me the uh, you know like the the one minute uh, you know I mean Germany like known for for beer there. Uh, what are your thoughts on just give me like the uh, some beer education? Like what what is the stuff that you like to drink? So so the the stuff I like to drink. Um, I come from a region in Germany. It's near Dortmund, and here we particularly drink a pilsner. Okay. And Germany is very famous for its for its pilsner. You can get so many different tastes, brands uh, whatsoever. I also like to drink uh, Weiss beer. Um, it's a Bavarian beer, um, uh, some stuff that you can usually find on the Oktoberfest or, or something like, like that. Um, yeah, so Pilsner, German Pilsner, German Weiss beer, White beer, Weizen. Um, if you can find this in, in any grocery store, uh, just try it out. All right, sounds great. I mean, it's football season, which means for many people, it is beer drinking season. Uh, so, yeah, uh, fa fantastic stuff there. All right, that's uh, Fabian Sommer on Twitter, as he said earlier, at Suma8110. I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. Check out Betting Pros and Fantasy Pros for all my work. Best bets, player props, fantasy favorites, player projections and rankings, and more. That's going to do it for the Week 10 Market Movement and Power Ratings edition of the Betting Pros Pod. If you like the show, please rate and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in. Good luck and see you next episode.